I want to talk to you about a lesson that the persecuted church has taught me. A lesson that I believe is, is incredibly powerful in a time like this. And, and just even just listening to worship, it was incredible how each of the songs spoke to that so differently but so powerfully. Um, so pray with me tonight. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we're so grateful to be gathering, to be worshiping in, in your house. We're grateful that we have the opportunity to, to hear from you tonight. I pray that you use my words, that you'd speak to us all, that you'd speak to me and to everyone else, because this isn't a message for everyone else, it's for me and everyone else. Lord, I pray that you speak through me, that you use this night, that we would draw closer to you as a result of it, that our intimacy with, with you would deepen and that we, make, we would make a greater impact for your kingdom in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. See, COVID, uh, as we all know, is horrible and we're annoyed about it, but had some opportunities for us as a ministry at Open Doors. I personally hadn't traveled to the field yet and seen our work. And so in March or April, I asked our team if we we're able to video call into our field, talk to the partners on the ground and hear from them. And it's been incredible because I had the opportunity of meeting some of the people we serve and some of the people that have experienced persecution on their own lives. One of them is, is a woman called Helen. You'll see a photo of her. Her name is Helen. She's, she grew up in Eritrea. And the reality in Eritrea was that you can go to church. Being a Christian isn't illegal, but evangelizing is. And so she was part of a church that didn't really care about that law, and she was encouraged to share her faith. And she's part of the worship team, and she wrote an album. She wrote worship songs, and they were released. And a couple of days later, the security came into her home, arrested her, and brought her into a prison. Now, when we say prison, you might think of a prison that we maybe imagine Paul or Silas to be in. But she was brought into a shipping container in the middle of the desert. Stacked with people, too many for her to properly lie down. In that shipping container, she described it almost as hell on earth. She said, when you touch the wall of the shipping container during the day, you'd burn your skin. During the night, you'd feel like you'd freeze to death. Little insects would crawl on your skin and eat it because you couldn't do anything about it. And Helen told multiple stories of her being beaten, being punished. But through it all, she kept saying, but you know, I just, I just kept praising Jesus. I kept writing and singing new songs. And on that call, she started singing. And I remember just listening to her a little bit, and Mitch can testify to that. You were there. It was incredible because I tried to imagine her in that shipping container, in a situation where all I would have cried out was complaints, begging God to free me from this situation. But her response was to praise God. See, Helen didn't praise Jesus because of the safety he provided. She didn't praise Jesus because of the protection she received from him. She praised Jesus because of who he was no matter how her circumstance looked like. It's an incredible idea in my head to go, okay, 
God doesn't deserve my praise just because of the blessing I receive in my life. God doesn't deserve my praises because of all the good things that happen to me. God deserves the praise because he is the creator of the universe and he's in relationship with me. Helen keeps sharing stories and one of the stories was that she wrote encouraging letters, notes with Bible verses to the um, prisoners around her, even to the guards. Some of the guards were curious and read them. Others got angry and dragged her into, away from the shipping container into the middle of the desert and started beating her, asking her where her Bible was. And she said, I don't have a Bible. It's quickly understood that she had memorized many of the scriptures and they started beating her on her head to beat it out of her. Helen said in that moment, she looked at the guard that was beating her and she said, I looked into his eyes and I said, I understand that you are just carrying out an order and it's okay, but you need to understand that I am carrying out an order as well and it's to not deny my faith in Jesus because you see, Jesus is the medicine of the world and he must be shared. I believe that. I hope we all believe that, that Jesus is the medicine of the world and that he must be shared. But it's this deep passion, this this understanding that Jesus is worth everything that enabled Helen to be in a situation where she would face death and not be afraid because she understood Jesus is worth everything. And those guards that were beating her needed to meet Jesus. So today's message can be titled, A Ruthless Determination to Praise. See, the persecuted church in general has a ruthless determination to praise God regardless of the circumstances they're in. Because their reality is isolation and uncertainty 24-7 for many times their whole life. We had a glimpse of that. Isolation, uncertainty. It's the reality for the persecuted church. See, what I didn't tell you about Helen was, and she didn't tell us um, until the end, is that she multiple times was offered a letter to sign and say she would never evangelize again and she'd be free. Helen had spent two and a half years in that shipping container multiple times rejecting that letter. What she also didn't mention is that she had an eight-year-old daughter at home waiting for her. And I don't know about you, but that makes me, it makes me question what Jesus is worth to me. It makes me question if I actually believe that Jesus is the medicine of the world. Because if I believed it, I'd be willing to give up everything, and I'm not sure if I was. But at the same time, as I asked that question, I want to tell you what she told us. Because she said, you know... She was miraculously able to escape and is now in Denmark, living safely. And she said, since I'm living in Denmark, I experience the distraction. I don't have the same zeal and passion to share my faith in Jesus. And it was this encouragement, while it's, it's maybe sad, it was an encouragement to me not to feel bad about my faith, but to understand that God will give us the strength we need in the time we need it most. It was her testimony. She wanted me to say to anyone I speak to that the persecuted church never thinks they're better than us. They never think they're better Christians, more faithful believers of Jesus, but that they simply feel that God is giving them the strength they need in times they need it most. 
She also said that she felt the prayers from the global church. I found it so beautiful to hear those testimonies of Christians around the world saying, in the darkest times, I felt the prayers of my sisters and brothers around the world not forgetting me because they know that Jesus hasn't forgotten them. But they realize that the whole body of Christ is with them, is standing with them and praying for them. And so it's churches like yours that are doing an incredible job at supporting the persecuted church, both in prayers and financially, in a time, in a year where it is more important than ever. See, I was 15 years old and my wife has just given me the not to drink and not make my lips flick. Appreciate it, love. It's Olivia. Give her, give her a clap. I'm grateful. Everywhere I go and she comes with me, she sits in the front row and she tells me, what to, oh, stop walking around, stand still, slow down, speed up. It's awesome. And thanks, Wes, for being here as well. Um, when I was 15 years old, uh, back in Switzerland where I grew up, I was sitting in a youth camp, sitting on the floor, um, and this, a guest speaker sharing stories. And to be honest, in that moment, I most likely was more concerned with what the girl I at the time liked was thinking about me than what was going on on stage. Um, luckily, I forgot about that quickly and moved to Australia and met Olivia. But it was in that moment where the person was actually a representative from Open Doors in Switzerland, and they were sharing the stories of persecuted believers, and there was a story that stood out. It was a story of a couple of siblings that had lost their parents because of their faith and that weren't able to go to school because of their faith. As I said, I was 15 at the time, and those kids were 13 years old. And we heard that person share their testimony of saying, they're not going to let their faith go. They're not going to give up on their faith, regardless of what they'd lost in their life. And I remember it having such an impact in my life because I realized, while I had never had to count any cost in my life for my faith, there's millions of people around the world, younger, older, our age, that are experiencing persecution and are willing to continue follow Jesus because they understand he's the medicine of the world and he must be shared. So often, we as a ministry want to help persecuted Christians and rescue them from difficult situations. But their response is, no, 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 if we leave, who's going to tell these people about Jesus? Who's going to tell these people the hope, the love, the forgiveness we've received? And it's the beautiful part of the persecuted church that it's never this, oh, I have to evangelize. I have to tell people about Jesus. It's no, I want people to know Jesus. I want them to experience what I've experienced. I want them to feel the love and forgiveness I felt on their own lives. We're going to dive into the Bible, don't worry, soon enough, before we do. When I am thinking of or connecting with the persecuted church and hearing stories like Helen's, it helps me read the Bible. Because I grew up in the church, I don't remember a Sunday as a kid of missing church, but I always sat in youth services and church services thinking, this Paul guy and these early believers, it's just, it's just too good to be true. Like Paul's story of being stoned, almost stoned to death outside the city walls, getting back up and walking back in. As if nothing had happened. Because it's important that we share Jesus. I was like, oh, 2,000 years ago, sure. Okay, cool story. Let's follow Jesus. But I'm not sure about that. 
Ever since hearing the persecuted church's testimonies and stories, the Bible has come to life for me. The Bible has made sense, but it also has just brought it into a light where I can trust it. I can read those stories and not think they're 2,000-year-old made-up stories, but that there are stories that are happening today, that there's people like you and I that are willing to give up everything for their faith just to continue sharing the gospel. And so turn with me to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to keep having a sip of water here. We're going to pick it up in in verse 22. Uh, And I'll just give you a bit of context. Uh, The chapter of Acts 16 is talking about um, Paul, Silas, and his crew. Paul has a a vision of a man in Macedonia crying for help. And so Paul interprets this as a sign of God to go to Macedonia. And so they're on their way and they're passing through a city uh, called Philippi. They're walking through the city and there's a woman that is harassing them. Not harassing them. Really, it it says Paul was annoyed. Paul turns around in that moment, casts out a demon and and keeps walking. It's one of those stories where I'm like, that's not how it would go down if that would happen to me. I'll be posting on Instagram for about two weeks about that. But... Apparently, Paul was just, yeah, that's what we do. Keeps walking. He upsets the authorities of the, of the town so much so that Paul and Silas are being thrown into prison. He upset the authorities of the town because the woman was possessed by an evil spirit and she was making a lot of money for the authorities of the town. And so Paul and Silas are put in prison, are persecuted for their faith, not just because they call themselves Christians, but because they were actively opposing evil in this town. They were actively representing Jesus, being Jesus' hands and feet, bringing hope and freedom into that woman's lives. And that's what upset the authorities. So that's where we pick it up in Acts 16, verse 22. Read with me. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, say with me, about midnight. About midnight, midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. I love that thought. It makes me think of Helen sitting in the shipping container, singing, praising God in a moment where it just didn't make sense to praise God. And so what's the result? Everyone else is listening. They're paying attention. Suddenly, suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. It continues, and Paul shares the gospel with him, leads him to the Lord, and they have a party. It's all great. But what I want to look at is is those two things, that they worshipped at midnight, everyone was listening, and that the chains came loose. Everyone's chains came loose. I don't think Paul and Silas were just start, look, watching the clock till midnight and then they started singing. I think it was their posture of their heart that they entered, pri- entered prison worshipping. 
that they were praising God, not because of their circumstances, not because God protected them from being thrown into prison, but because they knew Jesus was with them in prison. Jesus hasn't left them and won't leave them. And having that understanding enabled them to go, Jesus is still worthy of our praise. And so they're worshiping in the middle of a pain. And I think that's one of the lessons, or it's the key of the lesson of that ruthless determination to praise. When we sung the song, uh, How I Fight My Battles, I forget, Surrounded. It's incredible because it says our weapons are praise and thanksgiving. I didn't tell the team what the, what the title of this message was. But the fact that we sang that last and we'll repeat it again is just beautiful. I think it's incredible and it's an incredibly valuable lesson for our lives because too often we look at the persecuted church and we think they're these untouchable Christians because they're living in situations that we can't relate with. But what we need to realize is that those lessons can teach us how to live our lives in our realities. I've decided that when situations go pear-shaped in my life, that when it doesn't go like I want it to go, that I still praise God because I learn it from my brothers and sisters around the world, that they're continuing to praise in God regardless of their circumstances. I want to tell you another story that our partner sent to us a couple of weeks ago. It's about a man called Mustafa. Mustafa is a young man living in Egypt, one of the most dangerous places to be a Christian in. Mustafa's family was furious when they found out that his cousin had become a Christian. And so I'm not sure if he was willing to do that or if it was just decided, but it was decided that Mustafa had to go kill his cousin. So Mustafa goes on his way, finds his cousin in the church and waits outside, literally waits to kill him. When he arrives at the church, Mustafa hears worship. He hears praise songs coming out of the church. And he waits and listens. And our partner said, he said he was overwhelmed with tears, love and forgiveness for his own life. And all of a sudden, he had this realization that Jesus was real. And that he needed to meet him. So when Mustafa's cousin comes out of the church, he runs to him, embraces him, and tells him that he was here to kill him, but that he had just felt the Holy Spirit on his life and that he wants to meet Jesus. It's an incredible testimony because, again, it's the praise of someone else having a huge impact on a person's life that was not there with good intentions. And so I love that we can read the story in Acts 2,000 plus years ago and see this still happening today. These are not old stories. These are stories that matter today in our lives. See, praise changes things. I love that it wasn't just Paul's and Silas's chains that came loose. It was everyone's around them. Everyone's chains came loose. And so as Christians in our lives, we have a responsibility to walk our lives, praising God, not just for our own sake, but for the people around us, for the people that are listening to how we respond, for the people that are watching how we respond in dark and difficult times in our lives. 
It's what we do as a ministry. It's what we're passionate about, that we can connect the persecuted church with the local church in Australia, making sure that while they need our support, while they need our resources that we can supply to continue follow Jesus courageously, we can learn so much from them. See, too often we measure our proximity to God by his provision of safety. I'll say that again. Too often we measure our proximity to God by his provision of safety. But the reality is that the persecuted church understands that suffering is not so much a betrayal of the gospel, but the essence of the gospel. They understand that being a Christian doesn't mean that our lives is going to be just fine and we're just going to cruise along. It means that we're going to have trials and suffering. But it means that Jesus is never going to leave our side. That Jesus is not going to stop being with us and will forever be with us. What they need, I give. What they learn, I need. Is a saying that we have that kind of summarizes the ministry of, the, of Open Doors. What they need is what we can give. So often, all they need is food and medication. Other times, it's discipleship training, micro-business loans, centers of hope, which is the project you, you supported us with through. And then what they learn is what we need. As a body of Christ, we can learn from our sisters and brothers around the world in our walk with Jesus. And so our goal as a ministry is to make sure that we can continue helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. And I'm so passionate about this, that you hear the stories and testimonies of the persecuted church. That is not just something distant, that is not just something from hero Christians on the other side of the world, but it's something that you can learn from. And really what it should lead us to is a more deep and intimate relationship with Jesus. It's been my joy of working for the ministry for almost two years and that continuing reminder of going, who is Jesus to me? I'm watching the clock and I'm running out of time, but I want to tell you another quick story about a field call that we had with a partner in Vietnam. His name is Vin and he basically walked us through the work we're doing in Vietnam and then at the end, he just one question was, what, what would be your lesson or your, um, something you want to tell the Australian church? And without missing a beat, he said, well, it's the same challenge I challenged my team with here in Vietnam. And he said, in what ways has Jesus transformed your life in the last 48 hours? Share that with your neighbor. And I sat on that call and I said, Wow. I'm, I'm not sure if I can tell you something for the last 48 hours. And it wasn't something that then made me feel bad, but it was something that encouraged me and inspired me. Hold on, what, what is it that is so different about my life than someone who doesn't have Jesus? I want to make sure that my relationship with Jesus transforms my life on a daily basis. That I look at my life and see the hand of God in the different things that I'm doing. That I'm able to respond differently in difficult times. That I'm able to forgive when I don't feel like to forgive. That I'm able to love when I don't feel like loving. And so it's a simple challenge of what has Jesus done in your life in the last 48 hours. And if we share that with people, then they see Jesus alive in our lives. It's not something our pastor said. It's not something we heard from someone else. It's something we can pinpoint in our life and going, this is why 
You need to meet Jesus. This is why Jesus is the medicine of the world. Because he will transform your life as he has transformed my life. Moving along, I want to make sure you see this quick video. I have a video of our work in, in Iraq that you've helped us achieve, and it's the work of Centers of Hope. The Middle East has been a war-torn, war-torn area for many years. And while ISIS has left officially, the ideology is still very much present. And so what we're doing as a ministry is enabling the Christian presence in those countries making sure that Christians can stay and remain in countries where they'd have to leave without our support. And so our goal in Iraq is to transform every church into a center of hope. And the center of hope basically is a place where people can come and receive what they need. During COVID, it's meant medication, food, trauma care counseling. Often people are traumatized from the experiences they've had. And so we want to come alongside them with what they need. Because I find it so inspiring to listen to Dahlia even just mention two things one was that she has her suitcase packed under the bed ready to go at any time and I think it just gives us such great perspective of the reality for us in our lives I don't have to have my suitcase packed under my bed I don't have to worry about the security of my country when she said I have the same dream as everyone else It hit me because these are people that are in desperate need of just some normality, of just some normal, but still in the midst of the chaos, they've chosen to fix their eyes on Jesus and to not stop following him. And so today I want to leave you with this this challenge to look at your life and go, okay, where could I continue or start praising God with a ruthless determination no matter the circumstances I'm facing? No matter of the trials I have in my life, fixing my eyes on Jesus who's with me through the storm. This is how we fight our battles, with praise and thanksgiving. And so let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we come before you undone with the things you're doing around the world the strength you're providing for our brothers and sisters around the world that are struggling, that are experiencing incredible hardship. We pray for them right now that you would continue to give them the strength they need to sharing Jesus with the people around them, to sharing you and the hope and the love that they've received from you. Holy Spirit, empower them to continue walking their walk courageously and boldly and we ask Lord that you would do the same in our lives that you would inspire us to follow you more courageously to deepen our intimacy with you Lord to know who you are and what you've done in our lives in the last two hours 24 hours 48 hours whatever it may be but that we would know who you are and who you called us to be in you and so Jesus come as we praise you right now move in our hearts Lord Move in our hearts so that we would fall in love with you all over again tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.